Hello, somebody, and welcome to The Conversation. Do I have a show for you? I mean, every week, I'm just, I, we try to outdo ourselves every single week, but I think we've done it. I've, we've done it today. So I have the one and only renowned civil rights attorney extraordinaire in the galaxy, Mr. Charles Coleman, Jr. himself. Attorney Coleman, Jr., how you doing? I'm well, I'm well, I'm well. Thank you so much, Senator Turner. Hello, somebody. It is so good to be with you here this evening on the conversation. Super excited. You know, I've done a bunch of these before, but this is my first time talking to you, and I can't tell you how much I've been looking forward to it. Well, I am so excited to be here with you. You have been lighting them up on mainstream media. I love to see it. It is really refreshing. To have a group of truth tellers, and I believe I'm in that family too. To actually go on mainstream media and tell it. My grandmother used to say, "Tell it like it is," mm-hmm. and you like tell it like it is, like a ti is. Yes, you do. You have definitely been been lighting them, lighting them up, and I know you are no stranger to TYT. So we definitely love you and the TYT family so very much. So, you know, I want to kind of start lighthearted because we're going to get down to some serious business. What does your uh, t-shirt say? This is Black Brilliance and Black Brilliance is my brand. It is a brand that I curated out of a personal mantra that I began to sort of start using somewhere around 2011, 2012. And then it became a brand officially uh, around 2013, 2014, sometime in that range. Um, and it's a brand of apparel that is intended to express our brilliance as a people in whatever shape, form, or fashion we seem necessary. You know, we don't, generally speaking, find too many objections when our young people or members from our community stand up and say, I'm a thug, or I'm a D boy, or I'm this, I'm that. And so the thought occurred to me. What would happen if we programmed and brainwashed an entire generation of our young people to start standing up and saying, yo, I'm brilliant. I'm brilliant in whatever capacity that I wanna operate in. If I am a chef, I'm brilliant in the culinary arts. If I'm a skateboarder, I'm brilliant in movement. If I'm a dancer, I'm brilliant in terms of my expression of my body. If I'm a writer, I'm brilliant. And so getting us to recognize the different forms of what black brilliance is and can be has been a motivation of mine. And that's the essence of the brand and sort of where this comes from. So this is my brand. I'm happy to showcase it on TYT. I'm happy to showcase it with you, who I'm also in the same tribe with of black brilliance and someone who's unafraid to speak unapologetically. So that's what this is about, black brilliance. Well, thank you. I certainly got to get my hands. I am going to get some of that gear so I can sport it too. Where do we find it? Let's go. Yes, yes. How do we find it? www.blackbrilliance.net. Go on there, we'll get you taken care of. That's it, blackbrilliance.net, real simple. There it is. And I love how you say, and whatever we do, we bring our brilliance to the table. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm glad that you were motivated and inspired to create something so positive. Just, it reminds me of the saying, to be young, to be black, and to be gifted. And you just expanded that to just to be, to be and to be black and to be gifted. Young season, just do what you do, but do it in brilliance. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm glad we started off on some lighthearted stuff because now we're about Don't to- Don't get into it. Get into it. 
So what does, I'm kind of torn. I want to kind of start with these cases first, but I, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to resist that urge, but we're going to build up to this crescendo here. But in terms of, you know, the fight, what does the fight look like in the 21st century for civil rights? I mean, you are a civil rights attorney, a champion. You are, I mean, I introduced you as such, but it's, you know, that was not over the top. This is your life's work. This is your vocation. This is what you have been called to do. And as you navigate the world, whether you're commentating on TV or standing before audiences or just talking to people about what civil rights looks like in the 21st century and making that comparison actually to what some of our forebears who are still alive, some of them are Many of them are still alive from the 20th century. But if we go to the early part of the 20th century, if you had to make a comparison or just kind of walk us through what are some of the challenges within civil rights in the 21st century? What are the things that we should kind of keep in mind as we're trying to navigate uh, this justice journey in in our lifetime? You know, I, I think about this question often because it's a question that I get a lot in my travels. People always ask, well, what should we be doing and, and how are things different and what does the future for our civil rights fight look like? And I have a number of different answers. The first answer is it looks very similar to the fight that we have been engaged in consistently since the peak of the civil rights era. In fact, I would argue that many of the same tactics and strategies from an ideological place need to remain in place. But we need at this point to double down on them in terms of our boldness and our and our audacity. Because what people have to understand is that the, the conversation about civil rights and the push for equitable spaces, the push for inclusion, the push for us to get what is owed to us is ever present. It may not necessarily have the same language, but it is just as insidious as it has always been throughout its entire history. And so it requires us to keep our foot on the gas. Now, in the space that we're in presently, one of the biggest pieces to that is understanding the journey that has been thus far. Too many of us do not understand the history of civil rights and our fight for civil rights in America. And that's by design. We know that because we see what is being done to school curriculums and in institutions of learning across America. We see the pushback against things like critical race theory, which is simply American history. We see people trying to keep you from understanding that history in a way that's going to arm you and inform you. So that's the first thing that I think is necessary, having a clear understanding of what the journey has been thus far. I think after that, and this is going to be very controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway. Foundational black Americans have to get to a point where we are comfortable pushing back in leftist progressive spaces that have weaponized inclusion and diversity as a means of diluting the voices of foundational black America. I'm going to say that again. We as foundational black Americans, American descendants of slavery, if you will, have to get to a point where we are comfortable having the uncomfortable conversation of pushing back in leftist and progressive spaces that have prioritized inclusion and diversity and almost weaponized that as a means of diluting our voice 
and our power in order to be able to say, no, we have to prioritize the things that are germane to our community. We cannot allow the notion of intersectionality and inclusion to carry the day when that has simply resulted in our concerns being diluted and pushed lower and lower to the bottom. And then attorney, come on, I would say when you say leftists, you know, in those spaces, let's let's go a little deeper on that because I'm, oh, I'm kind of you, you want to probe. I mean, I'm tracking with you. But I want to see if we on the same track or we just adjacent to one another because that weaponization is something that I'm very concerned about as well. And I'm concerned about the black community in particular being used in ways that did not advance the cause or causes of black people as an entire community. That bothers me. And I do understand very clearly that women, we need our own thing sometimes. The bros need their own thing sometimes. But what I have been seeing very clearly over the last few years, uh, particularly on the Democratic political side, because the Republicans just don't give a bleep, 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 um, is this separation, if you will, of black women from black men when his, in ways that are not edifying. When historically we have been on a justice journey, you know, maybe having some family fights along the way together. And I believe that we should continue to have those family conversations together and not allow any entity, that's a political party, et cetera, to separate us from each other as we continue to climb this mountain. That there are always going to be another mountain for us to climb when it comes to justice, and particularly when it comes to anti-blackness. Racism certainly is one thing, and there are lots of other communities of color who have to deal with racism. But race, there is racism, and there is anti-blackness, and right. those two things absolutely go together. And sometimes our so-called allies don't get that. So when you talk about foundational black people and what that means. Uh, for us and how we, in my opinion, are allowing these systems to use us in ways that do not edify our community for the long term. That's exactly right. I think when you look at leftist politics, when you look at progressive politics, if you pay attention to the groups that typically align themselves with the left, that align themselves under the democratic tent, if you will, Keep in mind, there's a conversation about progressives and then a separate conversation about immigrants. There's a conversation about progressives and then a separate conversation about the queer community and our brothers and sisters in that space. There's a conversation about progressives and then there's a separate conversation about Latino Americans and our Latinx brothers and sisters because of the growing demographic that is there. There is not the same separation and individualized conversation on the left in a meaningful way. I'm not talking about in a performative way. I'm talking about in a meaningful way around black America. And how do we know this to be true? We know it to be true because during the Democratic primary, for example, every candidate was polled and asked questions about reparations for Americans' descendants of slavery. That conversation has evaporated into thin air. We know that because in large part, police reform has been viewed 
which is already problematic in a number of ways, but we can talk about that at a different era. Police reform has been viewed as a policy measure primarily enacted or to be enacted for the benefit of black Americans. That policy measure has been put on the back burner. Similarly, the conversation about protecting voting rights for communities of color, which is already a mixed conversation as is, has also from a policy place been put on the back burner. So when you look at the democratic policy agenda, the policy agenda of what is considered to be the left, a progressive policy agenda, where is the space for foundational black Americans in, in this country? That is what I think we have to be comfortable standing up and talking about and advocating for and pushing. And it doesn't mean that we aren't willing to work with our allies. It means that we are not going to work with our allies and sacrifice our own voices as we've done for far too long. And then the final piece on the current conversation around civil rights that I think is important is that we have to continue to be strategic. We have to revisit the lessons of old by constricting economic channels in America because we know that America only respects two things, guns and butter. And so I'm not mm -hmm. gonna get on here and advocate for physical violence because I don't think that that is any, in anyone's best interest, not at all. But what I will say is that when you make America feel it in the pocketbook, you get results. And so That's I think, it. and I think we have to think strategically about where and how we engage our economic spending power, our disposable income, which measures in the hundreds of billions of dollars annually. Where we engage those things to cause economic stress points in a way that makes people actually listen, because you're not listening for our vote. We've tried yeah. that, yeah. right? So that's why we have to engage these systems in a smart, strategic way that is based on history and data, that is bold, that is audacious, and that combines the technology and innovation of today with the strategy and ideology of yesterday. There it is, and that and that is both for ourselves and for future generations. And I want to add to that that. Being black in America, being black in the world, but we're talking about America right now, no matter how we identify, if you are black, you are catching hell. Amen. Period. And it's systemic hell that we are really talking about here. We're not talking about some individual slights here and there. We're talking about a system that is working as it was designed and intended to work, whether it's political, social, economic environmental, you name it, it is absolutely working. I mean, well, we're gonna need another session on this. You, you, know, you, you know, I told I told you we were it was coming tonight. You know, yeah. I, the thing that is so important for allies who may be watching to understand uh, in terms of where we are and why people may people may watch this and say, we got this black woman and this black man, and they seem to be they really are aggressive in this conversation, and but there's been so much progress, and why are they so aggressive? What for people who are in progressive spaces or who fashion themselves or present themselves as progressives need to understand is that anti-blackness is a global phenomenon, and as far as America is concerned, the legacy of white supremacy remains undefeated. Come so, on. The, regardless of what it is that we are seeing 
in the spaces that we live in, regardless of what our circle of friends may suggest to us, oh, so and so looks like they're doing well, what have you. At a systemic level, the legacy of white supremacy in America remains undefeated. And so it does not matter where any one of us may be individually. When you talk about the condition of the collective, of Come what on. it is to be black in America, that is a condition which has not changed. And so the question then becomes, if you label yourself as a progressive, are you radical enough to step to white supremacy and be part of dismantling it? Because right now, its track record is undefeated in America, and it requires all hands on deck. That's it. And you just made me, I mean, thinking about undefeated made me think about boxing as an example. And you know how they would hold up the fist of the boxer who won, you know, the heavyweight champion of the world. Well, the heavyweight champion of the world from an ideological standpoint, you just named it. You just named it, Attorney Coleman. And thinking about it in that way, the heavyweight champion of the world from an ideological perspective is white supremacy. And you absolutely right, it has been undefeated. We can get into the Afrocentric view and the Eurocentric view and ethnocentrism and all of that stuff to really peel back the layers and help people to really understand that we can't play with this. If you right. want to be a true ally to bump bump up against anti-blackness and racism, which I believe is the foundational point for most all of the isms, whether it's sexism, ageism, xenophobia, you know, uh, anti-Semitism, you name it. In this country, I'm saying the foundational point to that is anti-blackness. And as we study and track this nation's history, as black people have gained more liberation, so has other oppressed people because we paved the trail in the United States of America. And all over the world, people emulate the popular culture, the pop culture of the black community. People want all of our assets, but none of the liabilities that have been injected and infected into our community. And what you and I, Attorney Coleman, is talking about tonight is that everybody, or today, whenever people are watching all over the world, but that everybody, Lottie Dottie and everybody, as my grandmother has, had used to say, has a role to play in dismantling this thing if they have a consciousness to do it. And that's uh, where that comes in, Attorney, a consciousness. I, you know, you are, you are preaching a sermon right now, and I will pass the collection plate and put it this way. The bill of what it costs to secure rights of equality for every group in America and throughout American history, from women's suffrage all the way up to same-sex marriage, that bill has been paid through credit. And the credit has come from the sacrifice of black bodies, black voices, black ideas, and black lives. And so there is a debt that everyone who has benefited from those sacrifices owes in order to get that credit report straight. Come on. And my position is that. It requires a recognition 
by progressives on the left, that that is necessary, but also a demand and ask a clear request from us as a community to say, no more. It's time for you to pay what you owe. Yeah, that's it. It's a debt, it's a justice debt that everybody gotta be in on. Everybody has to be in on. So, oh my God, I'm, I'm serious. We gotta do this again. Now I gotta, you know, ask you about the, these two cases, but I'm, I'm just feeling something. You, I mean, you made me think about when Minister Malcolm X gave that speech, the ballot or the bullet. Yes. And he, that, he was, was not, that's what I, I mean, was. I got it. He was not advocating for violence for the sake of violence, but he was putting this country on notice. First, identifying without mincing words, the conundrum, the problem, the essence of what was wrong. And then saying to this country, you got some choices. It's either gonna be the ballot or the bullet because the powder keg that is building up. And to me, the Black Lives Matter movement itself was the 21st century iteration of that buildup that we've had and that reckoning, that, that reminder, I should say, that we always have generation after generation about the unfinished business in this nation when it comes to black lives, black minds, black bodies, just black everything. And where the, to me, Attorney Coleman, where that intersectionality comes in is that the black liberation struggle itself, like, to me, black people are the original progressives because it don't get oh, no more progressive than fighting for your very livelihood, your very lives, lives generation after generation. But this is the thing that brings our other sisters and brothers in from other identities, whether they're ethnic, uh, ethnic, racial, um, age identity, uh, sexual orientation, gender. Absolutely. This is where the connection is, is that the black struggle has been, is always linked to a human struggle. In right. other words, that in this country, whenever black people have made so-called gains, it has never been just for the black community. All marginalized people either have a roadmap to liberation and collectively benefit and from that. Where, we saw that in the civil rights, you know, but go, and ahead, that's go where ahead. that And that's where that debt comes from. I know that we are supposed to be talking about these cases and so I'm gonna make it easy for you and tie this in in a way that our viewers can understand very quickly. Please. For anyone who is questioning the degree of progress that we have made as a country, you needn't look any further than the past month and the way that these cases have played out. And I'm referring specifically to the case against Kyle Rittenhouse in Kenosha, Wisconsin as well as the case against the two McMichaels and uh, Mr. Bryan in Brunswick, Georgia. Why do I say that? In 1854, I believe it was, the Supreme Court made a decision in a case called Sanford versus Dred Scott. Yep. In that case, the Supreme Court held that the black man had no rights, which the white man was bound to respect. Yeah. What did that do? It effectively codified the system of white supremacy in such a way that placed white men at the top of the totem pole. 
It essentially gave white men free reign of society over pretty much everything and everyone. And the whispers of that case can be seen throughout both the Rittenhouse trial in terms of how he was as a defendant, largely in part shielded by his own whiteness by that judge, infantilized by the media and society, and even some of the prosecution's witness, witnesses, and acquitted by that jury. And second, Throughout the entire case in Brunswick, first with the actions of the three defendants and now convicted murderers who decided that they were entitled as white men to take it upon themselves to attempt to hunt down and kill Ahmaud Arbery as though he were a runaway chattel slave. And up through the white attorney for William Roddy Bryant, who felt that he had it in his authority to regulate what black pastors were present inside the courtroom during a trial where he was litigating. Those wow. are the fingerprints of Dred Scott still very much so present some 150 plus years later. So there needn't be a question as to how much progress we've made. The conversation needs to be about how much further we have to go. Where are we going? Attorney Coleman Jr., we definitely gonna have you back here, but you did that in less than two minutes and kudos to you for breaking that down all the way. We got so much more work to do in this society so that justice can really ring, ring true, uh, un, un, unfinished business. So thank you so, so very much for your insight. Thank, thank you, you for bringing the fire on the conversation. Sisters and brothers and family and friends, you another edition of the conversation. I wanna thank you so much for joining us. Dig in deep. Make sure you go and follow Attorney Coleman Jr. And also make sure that you go to his, his website. And, and your website again, Attorney? Blackbrilliance.net. Hit us up. Blackbrilliance.net, baby, do it. Listen, I want you to keep the faith and keep the fight. And let's not be afraid to do the hard work that is necessary to ensure that justice reigns supreme for all of God's creation. Hmm.